0: Listener Production.
1: You are listening to episode 138 of the Howie Games, Part B, featuring Triple Olympic gold medalist and all round star Stephanie Rice. Let's dive back in. You get to Beijing at 20. What's your first impressions of the Olympics and the Olympic Village and the food hall and everything that is the madness of the Olympics? Good evening from Beijing, where some 350,000 people are now gathering outside the national stadium. Inside, more than 90,000. Three billion people are watching worldwide and you have a front row seat for the first time ever to an Olympics here in
0: China. Like a kid going to Dreamworld for the first time. Like <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I felt like a kid again. That's the, probably the easiest way to describe it. Everything was exciting and fun and big and like I just wanted to take in everything and, yeah, really felt like a kid in a candy store. It's the easiest way to describe it because everything that I was experiencing was everything I had always dreamt of of going to and dreaming about. So you know, um, everything was just like huge and that the, the village in itself and all those things that you experience aren't replicated like anywhere else in life for a general person. So, um, You know, the food, like I just remember trying to describe the food hall to like my friends and family when I came home and I'm like, it's like two football fields put together (laughs) with like every food that you could ever imagine from every country and like ethnicity. So like you grab a tray and just walk around and everything's free as well. Everyone loves knowing that everything's free. Yes. um, You know, and like you can literally eat And because they have to cater for, you know, really tiny gymnasts and really big weightlifters, there's literally everything. And there's a McDonald's in there. My friends are like, oh, free McDonald's. Like I'm like, I know. Um, And then they have vending machines all through the village where you just get your little swipe pass for being an athlete and you can just push to get any soft drink you ever want for free. And, like, stuff like that, like, even when I'm saying it now, like, it's still so cool. Like, I just think... Wow, that's amazing! But it,
1: it's almost unfair because you're about to compete in the biggest race of your life. No, so it's not so really that was the have problem. Fifteen cokes and three Big Macs.
0: You would like, and you would see people <laughs> doing it as well. Like, and that's even harder because now you think, well, they're an athlete. Like, maybe I could as well. <laughs> um, yeah, the hardest part was for sure like that discipline in that environment because it was so you so naturally instinct was to just like go experience it all. Um, and I remember like the the thing that got me through was like, you're finishing racing on day like five. So this is only like a week and a half. You have to kind of, you know, and then you can literally Go to town. And and did you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I remember, like, because the finals are in the morning and so the, the relay of the 4 by 200 freestyle relay was my last race. Yeah. Didn't swim down, like, just got straight out of the pool, packed up my bag and got back to the food hall for lunch, which was maybe at, like, 2 o'clock. Grabbed an ice cream from the vending uh, machine <laughs> on the way in. So I was having the ice cream as I was, like, going around the food hall. I think I got, like... Pizza, McDonald's chips, like um, <laughs> Peking duck pancakes or something because they're in China. Peking duck pancakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was just like a bit of everything and then, a, of course, a soft drink or two and then on the way out grabbed another ice cream. <laughs> like it
2: was but so that, great.
1: But at that point you had three Olympic gold medals around your neck. You mm-hmm. had three world records in your back pocket. So tell me about, um, well, I think yours Yours was the first gold medal Australia won at the Olympics in Beijing, wasn't it? Yeah. Your first one. So that would have been the 400? Yeah. In lane six, the winner of the
2: bronze medal at the World Championship in 2007, representing Australia, Stephanie Rice, The former world record holder. Broke the world record at the trials. Owns it now. There's the Australian contingent. Warren and Raylene were thinking of you back at home.
1: So what happens? You get on the block, so you're... Packing your decks or not? Or are you confident in what you're doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I was the most nervous I have ever been and probably will ever be um, for that race. It was, yeah, it, it, I remember saying to my coach, like, right before I went to the marshalling area, um, put my suit on, I was ready to like head over. So, this is probably about 20 minutes before the race. And I, like, was full on anxiety thinking, like, I, I remember just saying to him, I've never been this nervous before and I'm really nervous about how nervous I am because... I'm nervous about being nervous. I was really nervous about the level of nervousness that I had because I knew nervousness was a good thing and I actually... Like needed it because I've done races at like the Brisbane and Queensland, whatever. And my coach is like, I hate watching you race at those things. Cause I'm like, I don't care. Like this means nothing. And I don't get nervous and I go like shit. So I knew I needed nervousness, but there's a very, very fine line between that, like tipping point of like excited nervousness and anxious nervousness. And I had felt like I had tipped over where it would now actually impact my performance and so that really scared me. Um my coach has always been the biggest blessing for me.
1: Who's your coach? Your coach's name? Michael Ball. Oh Bali, of course, of course. And of course.
0: so he he balances me energetically really well. I'm an overthinker, an overstressor, and you know, my brain is like thinking about 17 things at once. And he's kind of like Keep it simple, don't worry about it. Life is good, uh, which frustrates me. But at the same time, you know, in environments like that, just needing to hear from him, like his energy was calm. And so he's like, Ricey, you know, you've done all the hard training. You're, you're, you're gonna do well, you're on track. All you can ask from yourself is that you just do the best you can, and that's you gotta be proud with that. And I was like, Okay. That's true. Like (laughs) so much focus on this external outcome and, you know, comparing yourself to your best and thinking about what your end result is going to be. And just to hear from him that I also that, you know, he would be proud of me. My parents would be proud of me, like whatever the result was, that was really, I needed to hear that. Um, and yeah, by the time we got out behind the blocks, I was like, oh shit, this is it, all right?
2: Like, <laughs> let's go. Stephanie Rice has got to go out and lead. She's got to have the courage to go out and lead and get into a dogfight, especially in the freestyle. and She'll win it. Slow off the blocks. Let's see how she comes up. Takes a long time to come up. She's come up very well. So
1: underwater, terrific.
0: Um, yeah, and 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 I actually felt really good in that race. Like I felt. Empowered, I felt confident. I was also leading the whole race because I was better down the first 200 meters. Coventry is hanging on
2: hard here. There she is, she is indeed, and this is working probably against both girls. They can't see each other. There's so much of a distance between each other. They they're out of touch. They won't know they're there. This is a great swim by Rice.
0: And Kirsty Coventry, who was really close to me, she was I was in lane six and she was in lane one or something. So I couldn't see her, um, which helped me. So I thought I was like three seconds ahead of my next best competitor. But when I watched the race back now, we were basically even the whole way. I just didn't see that she was there.
2: Well, this is even more courageous. Stephanie Rice said go right from the gun. Jumped in, hit the butterfly, hit the backstroke. She's held up the breaststroke. She's only got two laps to go and she's going to be the Olympic champion. The only one she's got to beat is Christy Coventry, the Zimbabwean in lane number one.
0: So um, that, that really helped me and I think it is what hindered her because she basically almost didn't qualify for the final and so she wasn't in the mix. It's hard to pace each other when you're that far apart. So mm. it helped that I didn't see her, so I just thought I was, like, winning the whole thing, which obviously fuels your positive, you know, momentum um, and mindset.
1: What a courageous performance. Put it on the line right from the start. Blew Hoff away. Coventry's coming back hard. Rice
2: hanging on from Coventry coming at her, but a glamour girl is about to become a golden girl. What a performance!
1: What a world record! Stunning effort. So you, you touch the wall? Do you, do you know before you look up or not that you've won, or is it is there is that half second?
0: I. I was 99% sure I'd won. But, you know, obviously you sort of... It took me a really long time. Like when I watched the race back, I think it took me about 10 seconds to turn around. Uh, Almost everybody else had finished the race and seen their result before I turned around to look at the board. And, yeah, I was... I, I sort of knew I had one, but like I needed to confirm. I had no idea I, I'd gone what time I'd gone. I had no idea. I thought basically the same as my best, which was four thirty one. Um, but yeah, oh no, so, oh no, four twenty nine oh, no. four. Yeah, like another two second PB. That was like I knew right away. Like that's a really really quick time. Like to that was just really quick. Like to go under a four thirty. You know obviously the first person to do it because I break the world record.
2: First woman in history to break four minutes and 30 and she's beat the world record by 1.67 seconds. She's obliterated it. Oh, what a courageous swim.
1: So, So your life's work, you've achieved it, you've turned around, you're an Olympic champion, you've swum the world record, obviously the Olympic record, you've gone and got your gold medal, you're looking at it. But your job is not even half done, and this always fascinates me about the Olympics. It's like uh, uh, an RL an player, or AFL player, winning the grand final and you see they have street parades and they get out on the Terps, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's like they've got another grand final next week and they can't do that because you've got another grand final. It was equally important in a couple of days' time. So how did you keep a lid on the fact that you'd achieved your life's dream and how long did you give yourself to give yourself a pat on the back before it's like, all right, I can't hit the food hall just yet.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't so consu- I mean it was it was easy for me to stay disciplined with the practicalities of the routine, um, you know, like a because I'm we're used to we're trained also as swimmers, that's how we race, you know. It's a 5-day, 7-day, 10-day competition. <clears> so so that wasn't so foreign to me like in terms of mentally knowing like you got to stick with the routine, drug test, press conference, swim down, massage, food. Like that was keeping the nutrition, that was actually really easy. It was the emotional volatility that totally screwed me up. Um, and I didn't manage it at all. When people are like, how did you manage it? I was like, no, I didn't. Like I, (laughs) I, I was on cloud nine and I couldn't bring myself down out of it. Um, which was what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to enjoy it and experience it and, um, you know, like, feel it because it have worked so hard for this. Yes.
1: Um, and there's that famous, I think it's the famous line about the, you know, the, uh, is it the face of an angel, the heart of a lion? Like, it was everywhere around Australia on loop, that replay of your race. The face of an angel and the heart of a lion. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Thankfully, there was no social media, so I couldn't Mm. see it. And in China, we didn't really have access to the internet and the newspaper articles and stuff. So I really was like in a bubble at that time. I didn't know what was um, kind of happening in Australia, which was a good thing for me. Um, But, you know, I was living it up and enjoying the experience of it all. And, you know, maybe like, obviously you had that moment with my coach and my family and, you know, that was all really so, so lovely. I'm so glad we got those little moments together. Um, but maybe like three hours after the race, my coach was saying to me like, okay, 400's over, still got two races left. Like we need to refocus, like need to, you know, come back down, like have a, like have a rest. And I, I, I knew I was like, yeah, yeah. But I just and I would start like dropping my energy and then people would, like, another Australian and walk <laughs> past you and say, like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> congratulations. And then I would be, like, straight back up there again, like, oh, my God, thank you. This is so great. And everybody wanting photos. Like, it just it felt like it was so hard to stay calm when everything around me was also, like, chaotic. As one thing I've uh, always admired about Michael Phelps, like, his ability to like reset and refocus is, and I used him as inspiration in Beijing. Like I, because he'd won his medal on the first day and I saw him obviously on pool deck and at the food hall and people were coming over to him and wanting photos. And he he was really good with kind of like saying no if it was inappropriate or like thanks man and not like getting caught up in the energy of it all. And obviously watching what he was achieving in real time, as I was uh, progressing, mm. that, that really, really did honestly help me a lot. And, cause I was like, if this is what he's doing, so I'm just trying to emulate what he's doing. Um, and, but inevitably, I got really sick. So I, um, the day of the, the heat of the tournament, medley, um, so it almost went over two days. I was totally like head cold, like run down energetically, runny nose did the heat, you know, just did enough to make it through to the semi-final, did the semi-final, just did enough to make it through to the final and in my head I was like, cool, I've got 24 hours now, I've got a good sleep at night, I'll wake up in the morning feeling great and good to go and um, I woke up the next day feeling like 15 times worse than I did. On
1: the day of the final?
0: Day of the final. Huh. So I got to the warm-up pool and, you know, there's a, like, I mean, most athletes I'm sure you've spoken to, but there was like, I followed a very rigid yes. plan. So um, you don't want to spend any extra time on pool deck because it's really energy draining. So you, you only get there, say, two and a half hours before the race. Um, stretch for 30 minutes, then warm up for 45 minutes. Um, have a chance to just chill, eat some food or whatever, get the suit on, go to the marshalling area, do the race, leave. Like, so you don't really have time to screw with the plan when you get there. Um, And I got to the pool, did the stretching and then just like lost it. Like I couldn't stop myself from crying. I was so devastated.
1: (laughs) and Because you thought things were getting away from you. No, I was like, okay,
0: I've worked my ass off for four years to be here for this one day that things need to go right and literally it's going wrong. Like everything is going wrong. And, like, when you physically don't feel well either, it's so hard to, like, know in your mind that you're going to go well because physically you don't feel well. And so I was just so, so pissed at life that that was my plan. (laughs) That was the way it played out and also that there was no alternative. Like there's no option to do this at another time. And and all the coaches were like, holy shit, like get Michael Boll over here because like Steph's totally freaking out her finals in like, you know. An hour and she's the world record holder and my coach just sat there for, like we sat there for an hour for him trying to counsel me. And, you know, he's pulling out these stories of rugby players that like <laughs> broke a rib and kept playing. At Come a on, Bowie. And I'm like... <laughs> you know that i don't give a crap about <laughs> i don't know these people that you're talking about and like who cares rugby league what the little like australia like what queensland versus yeah. new south wales like yeah. this is not the same like <laughs> and he said to me too like well you can pull out if you want to pull out and almost like having that option to withdraw i was like no i could like i i would regret that choice for the rest of my life like i just need to do it and if i come dead last that's that's just the way it is like i've already won one so you know whatever and i went into the race completely like free i think calm and i can see it when i watch it back you know when i wave to the camera i'm just almost a bit like this could be a fail
3: <laughs> so ken why set up
1: a lead early she needs to we think. So, but you say so you're free of the expectation in your own mind. No
0: expectation in my own mind, and no like agenda for a result. It was like just do the race as best as you can, and that's literally all I knew I could ask for myself. And I also felt like in my head I had an excuse, you know, like if people were like, "What happened?" So oh, I was really sick.
2: <laughs> so can Rice swim down Coventry? It looks a two-woman race.
0: So yeah, and I went faster than I had ever gone before and never went faster again and it it was it was it was the hardest race to get through because of dealing with all of this like personal adversity um but one the one one of the ones I'm the most proud of because I think so often especially in the athletic world you think feeling good equals doing good yes but um Really, like, (laughs) I mean, I felt bad and went good. Weiss coming at Coventry. They're both inside world record pace. It's going to be a
2: touch. Does Steph wow them again? Yes, she does.
0: But also, I think, really, it's so common for, especially young athletes, um, if they do a warm-up and they feel bad, to think, I'm going to go bad. And I really, and you can sometimes have a really amazing warm up and feel so great and do a bad race. And so I always try to, like through mentoring and through storytelling, like encourage people that there's not, it's not one for one. It's not a, an equation that you, is simply just, okay, you feel good, you do good. And try not to compare. Um, both of them together because that that race really on paper like should have not been good, um, but it was the best one I ever did, and yeah, so it's it's really interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fascinating. You say you, you swam faster than anyone else when you felt people
0: don't know that story about me because I didn't I didn't tell no, I didn't know, it. know that, and I didn't want to be the type of person to like make up excuses and whatever, and so that's why I think it's more special because. Yeah, it's, it's sort of something that people just presume you felt really good and, you know, and then that's why you did well.
1: So, Steph, as history will tell, you went on and won your third gold medal in the 4x200, another big, big world record with you and the other three girls.
2: Rice leads her little-known teammates to an unexpected victory in the 200 freestyle relay, an event in which the United States had never been beaten. The Australians wiped more than five seconds off the world record Rice became only the seventh Australian in any sport to win three Olympic gold medals at a single Games. As Australia's most successful competitor of the Games, she carried the flag at the closing ceremony.
1: So when you come home after a performance like that, and it was... You know, we talked about the lead-up being madness, and you saying, "Oh, I'll do a TV interview because you enjoy it," which I, which made me laugh. You were everywhere. You know, it was Bonds commercials, and you know, Steph Rice is doing this, and Steph Rice doing that. But but you came home as a three-time Olympic gold medalist with three world records. It's one of the great performances in, in the time I've been watching Olympics. Did you get a chance in all that madness to actually reflect on the amazing performances you'd put on? in like the Olympics is littered with people who go in there as the best and as the favourite and for whatever reason don't come out. But you went in there as that and came out even bigger and better.
0: It didn't so it didn't sink in and it really didn't hit me until London, four years later, when I did like had a really awful prep and I was really sick and injured and watching the girls get up on the podium for for my races and you know, sing the anthem. That was the first time it really sunk in for me like, wow, like mm. they they're like what they did is amazing. Like I cause I was feeling it watching them like, wow, I'm so proud of you. And then I was like, Steph, like, you did that. Mm. Like that was you, mm. you know? I was like, oh shit it was, you know, that so it didn't really sink in. But honestly, yeah, like when I did come back from Beijing it was a whirlwind. I was, we got six weeks off training of which I think I spent the first eight weeks I was home, you know, on a plane in a suitcase, just traveling, doing roadshow tours and photo shoots and commercials. And like, I did honestly love it, but I was just so tired (laughs) Yeah, and I got pneumonia and, um, I just was like, Like I wanted to enjoy it all, but I also wanted to just like curl up in a shell and not do anything. And I I also felt like I was learning everything in real time. No one really guided me on that process and how to kind of... Of fame. Yeah, but also of like structuring all of this work and how do we we manage it all? Because, you know, everybody has their own personal agenda. Um, You know, my managers at the time were like... Shit, yeah, like let's cash cash in, and I was like, yeah, like let's do as much as we can. But then my coach was, you still have to like get back to training and race, and you know, uh, I just felt torn in so many directions, and I felt like I was constantly disappointing somebody um, because when I would give time to the sponsors, it would come at the cost of seeing like friends, family or swimming training. And so everyone, I just felt like I was always doing something to, like I couldn't win. Um, And so even though I did enjoy it, I I also would do it differently now, I think, knowing what I know now.
1: And what's it like, we, we talked about the media about your swimming. We don't need to go into specifics here, but what's it like When all of a sudden your personal life is being splashed across the front pages, and in, in you know, the Woman's Day and and that type of magazine, as a well, as you said, you're twenty. Yeah. What's that situation like? It was
0: like, it wasn't awful, but it was kind of just more that I felt like there was a disconnect between who I was as a person and as the person that I was portrayed at in the public. often the case. And the problem was at that time that was the only vehicle people would have to get to know me. Um, So if you hadn't met me personally to form your own opinion, you would have formed it based on the stuff that you're going to see. And um, that's okay. Like, I mean, I... I used those like that mm-hmm. time coming back from Beijing, you know, I was constantly going to events and parties and stuff for work, but then also coming home and I'm like, I want to go out and have drinks with my girlfriends and whatever. And and so then I was a party girl. <laughs> I was like, Oh, sure. For like, you know, this six weeks while we get some time off, but you know, you're not really seeing the 50 weeks a year that I'm slogging it out of the pool. And that really kind of came as a disconnect. Also, apparently, you know, just have had so many famous boyfriends, like the amount of boyfriends I've had that I'm like, I don't even know who this person is. Like, I, like what? Um, and there's also been phases where I've had like dated nobody for like a year. And I'm like, you could swing some of these people my way. But like, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: I don't even I'm in a dry spell. Seriously,
0: yeah. Like, where is this? He's cute. Like, why not? Um, And so, yeah, I I felt like that disconnect was the thing that bothered me the most because I've always really prided myself on being authentic and real and honest. And I do feel that's why the public connected with me in such a deep way because I, I didn't have a filter.
1: It's funny you say that because I can remember... Um, I was sort of starting to do swing at 10 when you were getting towards the end of your career and I want to ask you about your shoulder but when performance didn't go your way, like I'd have that 30 seconds to think, shit, how, how do I frame this? Because I know Steph will be so devastated and she won't hide that emotion at all. Yeah. Um, I can remember that clearly. So when did when did you first start getting a sore shoulder?
0: Uh, it was actually in Beijing. Um, that was the first time I... I sort of was like, Oh, my shoulder is a bit sore and not like a muscular sore. Um, but you know, I would never, I would never let my, shoulder. I had never felt my shoulder in a race, um, because so many other things you're thinking of, but, um, it was more like in the training pool, I felt it or warming up or swimming down or stretching. Um, and then, um, I know what really impacted it was, having such a long time off swimming, um, coming back from Beijing and not having a chance to rest my body. And I put on weight because all I was just eating ice creams and McDonald's and <laughs> anything I could get my hands on. So when I got, when I eventually did get back in the pool, you know, I was carrying more weight, like having to pull more weight through the water and, um, and then having such a long time off, uh, really impacts you as a swimmer. And I try to explain this to people um, that sort of haven't done swimming because you, you, you kind of need to keep that like integrity of the muscle and you don't use your body in that way unless you're in the pool. Whereas if you're, say, play rugby, you're still walking around and jogging upstairs and things and using the same muscle movements and muscle patterns. Whereas in the water, you just don't do those movements in a day-to-day life. And so your muscles and everything loses, like, what does that feel like? I don't know what it's meant to feel like. We haven't done this motion in a really long time. Even though you could still be fit, like, with running or gym, Mm. it's not the same. So, really, that's why swimmers don't have much time off ever um, because, and it's why we also swim, like, morning and night, because you have to just keep that rhythm and motion in Uh the water. And, um, and so having so long off, like six weeks when all the maximum I'd had before was probably two weeks plus the extra weight, it just impacted, um, that a lot. And then all 2009, I really struggled with it. And that sort of end of 2009 was when I had the first surgery and
1: first of how many
0: three, no um, and it actually got like a lot better after that. Um, I, I was really in a good place, like physically much better and stronger. And then um, yeah, in December of 2011, so the sort of leading into the Olympic prep. Um, I was stretching, swinging my arms as I always do and like warming up and I just sort of swung it and I was like, "Oh, that, <clears throat> that hurt a little bit. And it felt like a dead pain. Like my arm kind of went dead and, um, didn't like, I tried to swim couldn't really swim that morning. Went and got physio. He told me get a scan, got a scan. And I remember sitting there with a the physio and he's like, so yeah, you've torn the tendon in your subscap. And I was like, cool. So like, what does that mean? Like no training the salve, like ice the (laughs) shoulder up. And he's like, Oh no, like it's a surgery like to fix it. And the surgery is like a big surgery that will take six months of rehab. Whereas the first surgery I had was like a short, like 30 minute surgery with maybe like, you know, four weeks out of the water. Whereas this surgery was going to be like, you know, a couple of hours and you know, you have to rest it in a sling for three months and then slowly start the rehab process. So it really was like six months of rehab. And I'm like, it's December. The trials are in March. Like I only have three months. Like I can't. For
1: the London Games, yeah?
0: Yeah. So I was like, I don't actually have the option of having that that repair reparative surgery. So I had a surgery basically, which was like putting a Band-Aid on it, like a surgery well, catch just up, like. Hey, we can't actually fix the break, but we'll just try and clean around it a little bit to make it like a little bit less bad, um, which did nothing. Um, and so, yeah, I trained from December to March with like the tear in the shoulder and painful. Oh yeah. Like some days, some days, like I couldn't push myself out of the pool to get out of the water. Like I had to kind of get out with one arm. Um, and then, Uh, in the water, I couldn't do nearly as much and not to the intensity. So before Beijing, I was doing 60 kilometers a week in the pool, plus the dry land and everything else. Um, And then prior to London, I was doing 30. So I was meant like I was doing half the physical workload. I was doing a lot more, you know, running and riding and skipping and abs and whatever um which then you know like knees started getting sore and like it just was this knock-on effect um and so physically I knew I wasn't prepared because like I was doing half the amount of work that I had done before winning gold and doing my best so that really plays like with your mind um and then you know I just was constantly like getting sick because I just had so much inflammation in my shoulder and so I was always seeing like Physios and surgeons and they were like anti-inflammatories and painkillers and stuff to try and heal this, which was like ruining my immune system. And so then I would get, yeah, it was like I just kept falling over, like literally felt like everything I was doing was having like it may have slightly helped the issue, but it was like knocking on a bigger effect that was like taking me out of the water even more. Um, and then I got food poisoning three weeks before the London Olympics when we were on a training camp, and like I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere for like three days. Like I was just the worst gastro food poisoning, and that I had had like that going on for maybe two days. And the next morning we left to go into the village for training camp, and there was all this media at the airport, like welcoming everybody into, you know, like you've arrived. And, oh, my God, like, I see the photo of myself and I, like, look dead inside. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, I need to attempt to, like, smile because literally this is like I don't I didn't want people to know that things were so bad because I didn't want the media to kind of detalking talking in that way about me. I also didn't want my competitors to know yes. that I wasn't, you know, at my best because you see it physically when you see people that just don't look as fit and you're like, mm,
1: she's not on. But but your London performance itself, fourth in the 200 and sixth in the 400, like you, you still made the Olympic final. Yeah. So it, it's an extraordinary achievement.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm proud of it, like yeah. because... Yeah, like I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't walk home with any medals or awards or whatever. But um, and people, people didn't know all of this, so people were sort of, I mean, they knew I had shoulder problems, but probably not to the extreme. So I really didn't feel at that point I needed the validation of uh, the public. I just, um, and I am really proud of what I achieved in London having done what I had done and having Mm -hmm. like having to like push through that really did build like resilience and adaptability. Like I just, it just hurt. And the race hurt (laughs) so much more than it has ever (laughs) hurt ever before. Like, oh my God, it was so painful. (laughs) I don't think I've ever been overtaken in the last lap of a fauna medley. Like, I'm notorious for overtaking. I remember seeing, like, three people swim past me and I was like, shit, this feels like shit. (laughs) Like, I just hate this feeling.
1: More of Steph in a moment. Check out some of the other swimmers that have appeared on the show. Liesl Jones, the chant, on episode 60. Ian Thorpe, the legend, on episode 64. Kate and Bronte Campbell, superstars. They're on episode 71. And the incredible man that is Grant Hackett on episode 82. Grant is a man that saw life in the pool as winning or failing. Your Olympic record, mate, it's phenomenal. Three golds, three silvers and a bronze. And I've heard you talk about your approach to winning before. The three silvers and the bronze, are you proud of those or were they missed opportunities?
3: They're failures. Are they? Mm. Every silver medal in my cupboards a failure. Wow. So I think... Uh, well, that's a bit of a downer. <laughs> yeah, it is. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to put the conversation well, your, like that. Your
1: face just dropped when I mentioned it. I didn't uh, yeah,
3: say well that. it's funny. I um I look back on my career, I think over twelve years I lost the fifteen hundred twice in that whole entire time at every major meet. And that's what I think about in my career. It's it's just difficult not to as a performer and a person who has high expectations of themselves. So I still hear those results and I'm disgusted by them, to be honest, because they should be a lot better. But there's not much I can obviously do about them now. But I still look back on them and I think, well, what could I have done better? How could I improved? I'm beyond them now. Obviously, You, you live with them, you you move on. But I
1: disgusted is a strong adjective.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's suitable for how I feel towards it.
1: That is the incredible Grant Hackett on episode 82 of the show. All right, let's get back to Steph. So you retired, Steph and this is this is the bizarre bit of what you do, and it's um and you brought it to light recently which mm-hmm. which we'll get to. You retired on the ninth of April 2014 most of us retire, steph when we get to sixty i am hoping for fifty um but so we we've done our life's work mm-hmm. you're so if you were t- so you're twenty six mm-hmm. yeah so you're twenty six you've done all these amazing things. Olympic gold medals, world records, world championships, Commonwealth Games, you're a superstar and then you retire. Like what in God's name do you do the next day or (laughs) the next week or the next month or the next year?
0: Well, that was really just the public announcement of the ending of my swimming career and I was really really clear at the time that I just did not want to call it a retirement because it feels like the end of everything. Like people retire at 60, as you were just saying, and that's it. That's it. Now I'm chilling out. Um, yes. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm not. I'm not going to retire and live on a beach somewhere and just kill the next 60 years of my life. Like... I've just ended this (laughs) phase of my life. Yes. So, yeah, I announced the retirement and um, that was probably then at that 2014 period where enough work had finished from the Olympic, you know, sponsorship. Like things started to just die down in general and that's when it kind of really all started like to hit the – uh, it's over. <laughs> oh my God. So like, what? Like, literally, what now? Like, yes. And I had no idea. Like, I was just so lost.
1: Describe to me lost.
0: Um. Well, I think the thing that that frustrated me the most was that I had no idea what I wanted to do because I had never considered it. So, I hadn't. Um. You know, I hadn't sort of half studied whilst I was in a swimming career. I sort of knew that I needed to put all the eggs in one basket in order to do well. Um, And so I always knew too, if I wanted to do some job when I finished swimming, I'll just go back to uni then, like I don't need to do it now. Um, And having been so passionate about something, I'm not capable of doing something that I don't have that inner love for. So the idea of just, I guess, like rolling up to for me, which would be like a token nine to five job that I've probably only got because I was Stephanie Rice. Like I just couldn't do that. Um, so I knew I needed to find something that I loved and I didn't know what that was like. Um, and that was really hard. I wish I knew what it was because if I, if I knew what it was, I knew how to goal set and yes. and be disciplined and work my way up the ladder. <laughs> like it was just the fact that I felt like I was in no man's land. And um, I felt like I was there for a really, 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 really long time, maybe like four years. Um, and it also felt wrong. Like um, when people would ask me, Are you still swimming? And I would say no. Then the next question was always, so what do you do now? And I just have never, like, I was just couldn't answer it. And so I just felt like I was lying the whole time uh, saying wishy-washy things. Like, oh, I still do a bit of speaking and, you know, mm. I do some brand ambassador work and a little bit of coaching, which was literally those three things would take up. Five days of my year, so <laughs> like, what do you? But I made it sort of fluff it up to sound okay. But really, what I wanted to say was like, I have no idea. I, I have no direction. I'm lost, and it's really frustrating. And um, yeah, but it just felt, you know, there was a reputation to uphold. I'm a, and I, my identity is also I'm a successful, driven person. So to not feel like I identify with that publicly is like wrong. <laughs> I felt wrong. Um yeah, so I then kind of really was really open-minded to try anything and everything that may help me get a little bit more clarity on my direction. So I did every Tony Robbins seminar there was, I did every, like r- I've read every like success book and podcast and I've done online courses. I've done Reiki, kinesiology, psychic readings. Like I did counseling, psycho- like I just literally was like, I'm open to trying anything. And I knew right away when I did a, a like a thing, like whatever it was, I would walk away feeling like that didn't really serve me. Like that wasn't really for me and other things that I would leave feeling like, Oh, that was, I just felt so, even if I just felt good in doing it, I was, that was a win for me. Um, and so I just, that I was just really on a self, self, self discovery. I feel like people maybe go through this in a midlife crisis. I just went through it at like 24. Um, and yeah. And so that, that was, just challenging. I sort of withdrew a lot from the public version of myself in doing that, moved overseas, lived overseas for a couple of years. And that was good for me. I needed that just to figure mm. out who I am now away from being a swimmer.
1: Good. I've got a couple more questions for you. Reality TV. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what What? reality TV shows have you been on? You went on Celebrity Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you win? Did you win that?
1: Did I win? Of course I win. Did I win? OK. Righto.
2: The Celebrity Apprentice
1: for 2013 is Stephanie Rice. Congratulations,
0: mate. Thank you so much. I'm so excited I don't want to cry, yay. So you won that. Have
1: you, have you been on other reality TV shows?
0: No, the only other one I did just in 2019 was that Dirty Dancing. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, well, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we did. We went to the lodge at um, Kellerman's in Virginia and, right. uh, yeah, we recreated so it? aspects of Dirty Dancing. So
1: I, I wanted to ask you about that because... Um, my kids are just getting to the age where they're starting to watch commercial TV and mm-hmm. um, they, they love Survivor. Um, okay. And we always talk, you know, how do you think you'd go in this or SAS is on at the moment, do you know, do you think you could hack this? What What is the reality of reality TV like?
0: No, it's the opposite to what you see on the is TV. It? Is well, it? Well, I think that, that every show is a little different as yes. well, though. Like, oh, no, you um, can
1: only talk from your experiences. We're not talking SAS. You, you so know. I
0: know that the first, you know, what you were saying about your kids is kind of what I felt the first time I did Celebrity Apprentice because I had done TV before, like commercials and interviews, yes. and it was... It was like, this is me and this is real, real time, real stuff. <laughs> and so when I went on Celebrity Apprentice, I had watched the show. I knew what I was in for. Um, but I was like, oh, is this how they film a reality TV show? Like, So how do they do it? Yeah, like it, there was constantly provoked drama behind the scenes to antagonise and I, <laughs> I was... I'm too real. Like, I'm not a superficial person, so it was bothering (laughs) me. me. I was like, why are we doing this? And it's stuff that frustrated me. And also, you know, filming things multiple times over. Like, so, but it was weird because it's reality. So you think, like, I can understand that in acting because you want to get the right take. But, you know, for reality TV, when I would just walk over and, because also on Celebrity Apprentice, you're working on a task, you know, you had to get something done um, by a certain time to present it to whatever. So I'm kind of in my like practical go getter, like, we've got to get this done. i would go over to you and say like, hey, how are you going with the program? And do you need something from me? And the camera guys would be like, oh, could you just do that again? Like, just hang on a minute. If you just walk back and walk but over. And, when there, and I'm like, oh, okay, like so then you do it again and then they'd sort of ask and then as time went on, you know, they'd ask you to go talk to somebody or they would make stuff up so they'd say so-and-so's just said that you um, kind of (laughs) didn't do this right and so, you know, can you just go over and tell them? And so you'd walk over and be like, hey, like what's up? Like did you have something to say? and Then it would you realize? I didn't realize until maybe halfway through filming Celebrity Apprentice that I was like, "I'm still filming a TV show. Like this is still TV. Like as much as this is reality TV, like this is there's still an objective for them to get ratings and cause drama." And I realized how often in the edit that they would cut stuff together that didn't happen together. Like you know, your reaction to something was you know, you've said something that's a bit rude and I would have said like, but then they would use that At a different point in time, to look like I hated somebody, and oh my god, that was so much for me. It's
1: a great description. It's fascinating me because I've worked in sport TV for so long, where it's live, exactly the opposite of what you're talking about. As you know, it's live. If you nail it, you're good. If you stuff it up, everyone sees it. But there's no trickery. There's no sneakiness.
0: So that really bothered me a lot (laughs) until I realised halfway through, like okay, I think I get it now and this is still a TV show and so I really made sure to be very, like, balanced. Um, okay. I almost felt like that's where I learned to put on a facade. <laughs> right. Like if I was pissed off, I'm okay. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't want to get caught out no. or or portrayed in a certain way. Well, thank
1: you for illuminating me in the world You're of reality welcome. TV. Hey, we, we've gone uh, a full circle right from the start about, what. Well, where, where we talked about validation and, and, and Olympic performance. Um, Steph, you sent out something on your Instagram page, which is one of the reasons why we're here, um, which uh, my wife actually told me about at the time and I, I only saw it a couple of days ago. Um, and it, it's you um, being really honest and open with a post um, and then it's just a really short little Instagram video of you uh, looking... Emotional, I think it would be the fair way to
0: say it. Balling, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, balling. <laughs> we are balling. Um, but, but it was, I, it um, it touched me. I think it touched a lot of people that you're prepared to do that and to show in the modern world that uh, athletes and high-profile people, which I've really learned on this show, aren't bulletproof and they have ups and downs. Um, and I think it's really valuable to the greater population to realise that we look up at, people that we think have everything and realise that, oh, they have ups and downs and good days and bad days as well. Um, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I'll shut up now.
0: Yeah. Well, I think as I said before earlier, you know, I always have pr- um, prided myself on being authentic. And so even throughout my swimming career, there were multiple interviews where I was, I was really upset or you know, really disappointed or really happy. And so I have always been that person. I feel things deeply at extreme levels. Um, and I think as most athletes are because you tap into this, you know, um, higher state in order to perform and get the best out of yourself. And it, it, that's why you are a good athlete is because you can like transform into this character. But I think if you're if you're able to achieve like and feel the high highs and really feel alive in performing, you kind of can swing the other way and feel really down and lost and depressed and frustrated. And so, um, that is really just me as a person and I think on Instagram or just really in social media, everyone shows the highlight version of themselves yeah. and um, I do it too. Like <laughs> I'm not any different to that. But um watching the Olympics I knew was going to be really hard and I have already done so much transformative work on, you know, like I said earlier with the personal development stuff and doing all the different stuff to work through who, who am I as a person? Like all I had ever known was Stephanie Rice, the swimmer. And now I'm not that anymore. So like literally who am I? And I know that now, and I've done that work and I've re-identified that person. Um, and so therefore I don't really relate to that person that I was as a swimmer anymore. I'm completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, and and, and I, I really feel like I had to detach from that person in order to move on. Um, so watching the Olympics or really any high performance swimming meet is like I, I, I go back to reliving this um, past life is probably the easiest way to say it. And so... And I I was, I knew I was going to feel like I knew it was going to be hard. So it wasn't like I was unprepared for it. And I also have all the tools from all the personal development stuff I've done to work through it or get myself out of those states. And And so I consciously knew I was okay. Like, I, I'm okay. I'm a happy, content person. And I genuinely am this person. However, like watching the Olympics is like watching the highlight version of an athletic career because it's one moment in four years. It's, it isn't real life in the sense that, um, that isn't what your life looks like as an athlete. So really easy for, all athletes to watch it and go, I have FOMO, like I want to be back there. I Mm -hmm. miss that. But that isn't the reality of what your athletic career actually looks like. You know, it's everything that we've already spoken about. And so Mm. it's really easy to watch the highlight version of the Olympics and, and feel that sadness of the fact that, also, and this was why the transition was so hard that I would never feel that way again. I would never experience that type of life again or that kind of high again. Um, and also, none of the skills that I have worked on for 15 years transfer into any other career ever. Yes. So. Yes. Whereas most people that are an accountant that and also you don't really generally get to choose when you end your career. It's kind of the choices made for you by age or injury. And so if you are generally like an accountant, you might choose to end your job there and kind of use those accounting skills in business and start Mm. your own business. Whereas like I have applied for jobs. And when I put on the resume, like three time Olympic gold medalist, like I'm sure that I've never got past the first even application stage because I'm sure people look at it and go, that's cute, but, like, what skills do you have and what experience do you have in this space or sector? And I'm like, experience? Like, I give me a chance and then I'll have the experience. Like, I don't have any skills that transfer. And so that is really hard because you've literally worked so hard to like be the best at something and refine those skills to be amazing and the best in the world, and now they mean nothing. Um, And so the post was really, I wanted to wait until the Olympics were over because seriously the amount of athletes that are, like, posting their, like, past moment at the Olympics I'm like it's not Mm. about you it's about the current athletes especially given the fact that they you know the Olympics weren't on and then they were on and the COVID everything you know what just give them their time in the sun and allow them to shine and um, and I wanted that time to pass to do that and so yeah I wanted I kind of just the other day was thinking yeah I did feel all these things back when I was watching the Olympics I don't feel them now but maybe this just will show people that there is still hard, like it is still hard to watch and you still feel all these feelings. And I, I knew from speaking to other athletes during the Olympics that a lot of us felt the same way. People just couldn't really articulate it or couldn't, didn't want, didn't feel comfortable expressing that they were struggling because it feels jealous. Like you feel like it's wrong to feel sad when somebody else is having their highlight Mm. of their life. Um, yeah, it feels like you're a bad person or something. And so I just kind of wanted to be able to put into words what I had personally felt. And I was really like so overwhelmed by the amount of like traction it got and not like it had nothing to do with me. It was more the fact that I think just showing that rawness um, allowed other people to convey their own rawness and I was it just felt like I provided a safe space for people to share their own struggles and and have a real conversation even though it wasn't a conversation like the amount of comments that I've read and people that have messaged that have just said something similar about themselves um yeah was really touching that we there was there was a platform to do that and um that just felt really beautiful to to have that opportunity because I I didn't have that intention going into it at all, that it would get the way, it, it get the traction well, it got.
1: Yeah, the response was phenomenal and you, you said, you know, it wasn't about you and I, I appreciate that but I think my outtake from it was, yeah, there is a lot of people who felt like that so that wasn't about you but I think it also showed that there is a tremendous amount of love for you in the Australian society because so many of us have so many Fond memories of seeing you do what you did, Steph, and are still doing.
0: Yeah, that's really nice. That's really sweet. I I felt that too. Like I felt, I totally felt the love on the post, Good. and I I felt yeah, like I felt yeah, really supported. But I think at the end of the day, like I don't know, it frustrated me some of the stuff that came out publicly after that too, because it was like the depressive, you know, Steph's depression or admitting, and I'm mm. like, no, no, no. Like that's, you've missed the point. Like you've pulled the keyword to make an article and that really wasn't the point. And also the point is like, I'm okay. So I personally don't feel it was like, brave or anything special to do that because I have come through like the light at the end of the tunnel in that journey of transition and mental health and all the struggles that I went through. And I'm like genuinely in a really good place. Like, People would meet me and say, like, yeah, she's a happy, bubbly, like, content person. And I'm like, yeah, I am. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. um, So, what I was really touched by was, in particular, the amount of athletes that have recently retired that are probably in the thick of the darkness where they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel to feel like okay, Steph achieved like the top of what she achieved and she went through the same thing I'm feeling. So A, I'm not alone and B, there is light at the end of the tunnel and I can get through it and And put words to the emotions that I'm feeling. That was the most touching for me because if I had read something like that maybe from Susie when I was going through that, it would have really helped me. Like at the time I was transitioning, I just felt, totally not understood. And I felt like I was the only person going through what I was going through, struggling with what I was going through, because you ask people, how are you going? And they're like, yeah, good. I'm doing all this stuff. And I was doing it too. So, you know, I think it's harder to be in the thick of the struggle and actually say I'm struggling. And so uh, I don't really feel like it was brave or anything special, but I'm really... Happy and proud that the post allowed people to, yeah, have that reflection within themselves and have that discussion at a deep, you know, important level.
1: Flows on perfectly to our last question. Geez, I've taken up way too much of your time. I love it. I said to you, I, well, I said to you <laughs> at the start had, like that, a
0: cocktail or something. Well, yeah, seriously,
1: uh, I said to you at the start. You said, "Oh, sorry, you're a couple minutes late." And I said to you before you started recording, "Don't worry, I yeah. can't go anywhere because I'm in lockdown, so I, I'm happy um, to continue <laughs> to wait and chat for all those." youngsters that I said to you at some stage that we're blessed that listen to this show um, by themselves with their parents that are wanting to achieve in su- achieve success in the thing they love. It doesn't have to be sport. It can be anything. The thing that they're passionate about, like you are passionate about swimming, you've displayed and explained some amazing experience and learnings you've had in yourself. What are you saying to those kids out there, young adults or even adults that are finding their way in life about success and how to achieve it in their field?
0: Yeah. Well, success is whatever you, I think success is. And that looks different for a lot of different people. I think the thing that I've always, and I still, still believe this, like true to my heart, that if you want something and you're passionate about it is there is every possibility that you can have it and achieve it. And, and that should just be I think as you get older, you come up with all the other reasons why it, it couldn't happen or shouldn't happen or whatever. But as a kid, you kind of have that open mindedness. And I think yes. that that magical feeling of manifesting or dreaming is something that you should never lose as an adult. And you, you should allow yourself that glass half, glass half full feeling to enjoy and experience and create. Um, I think that in order to have success at anything, you have to love what you do and you have to have that passion and that fire. I think in order to be successful, you've got to know that it's not a linear, straightforward, you know, it's like up and down, around, and around. And, and so, um, that is, that is the path. Like it's that is what you should expect. And so I think a lot of people get disheartened at the time that something goes wrong and think that, you know, it's not working or it's not meant to be or whatever. But really that is, I, I believe that those experiences happen in order to teach you something because you don't really learn anything from your success. And I can say that coming from swimming, I look at my best races that I achieved gold and I didn't really learn anything. Like, but the ones that I, you know, quote unquote failed or didn't do as well or failed, felt disappointment or frustration. Those were the ones that I used and analysed and reflected on deeply. Like what went wrong? What went right? What can I improve on? And now let me implement those things to, you know, try again. And I think that reflective process is so important for everybody in sport or not. Um, I do it all the time. Just think, I think back and reflect Um, unemotionally is important because we're all our own worst critic. So I think it's, It's important to kind of not be too hard on yourself, but try and be a realist in the, in the reflection process of I did that well, that I could have done a little bit better. Maybe if I had then done one, two, three, um, that would help me. And then when you do the next performance or meeting or presentation or whatever it is, you take another chance to reflect. And I think you have to just continually learn about yourself because success is a self you're improving yourself and growing as a person and that you have to be, I believe that you have to be the person that's worthy of achieving the success. You don't just get given it, for some Mm -hmm. unknown reason. It's why so many people that win the lottery lose it all in the first, like, year because they're not capable. They don't have the skills to learn how to manage that level of success or accolade or wealth or whatever it is. And so you have to make yourself that person, and that's what I try to do.
1: That is a wonderful answer. To end a wonderful podcast. Steph, it has been great to see you again, to see you smiling and fit and healthy and happy. I appreciate your time and your explanations. It's been fantastic to have you on the Howie Games. i loved it. It's been well, well, I hope so. I've loved it as well. Thank you so much for Thanks joining us. Thanks for me on the show.
0: really good questions. I mean, I really appreciate that. So. It was nice to have an in-depth <laughs> chat as Nicest
1: well. thing you can say to me. Thanks for the good I know, questions. I no, appreciate it.
0: Like, I love that you've done your research and that we also had a very um, fluid conversation. That's always appreciated. Okay.
1: Thanks for joining me on the show, Steph. Stay safe. Thanks, Howie. Stephanie Rice, phenomenal athlete, wonderful person. Thanks to Steph for sharing a very personal story and good luck to Steph in her life moving forward. I reckon she's got a lot to give to all sorts of groups in the community. She deserves continued success and happiness in her life. Thanks to Das for continuing to get it done day in, day out with a lot on his plate. Good stuff, horse. Until next Thursday with the truly remarkable story of Curtis McGrath, peace and love.
3: And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Try, try, try
2: Listener